great to be together here on the first Sunday of December. We've been blessed with some unseasonal weather, so we're all grateful for that. We were in Daniel chapter 6 last week, but we only looked at one verse, which was verse 10, and we looked at a specific theme, which was prayer. Last week was prayer in verse 10, and I mentioned to you last week that this week we would look at the story, of course, one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible, not to mention uh, the Old Testament or the book of Daniel, uh, which is Daniel chapter 6. Let us continue in prayer. Let's pray together. Let me give just a brief moment of silence, and let me encourage you to pray silently to ask the Lord for help for all of us this morning, for yourself, for, for me, for, for our church. Lord, would you indeed help us this morning through the Holy Spirit? Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your law, as is always our prayer. Teach us to fear your name. Help us to see you in this great story. Help us to see Daniel. Help us to see you. And help us to see ourselves in light of that. Lord, again, we do ask that you please help us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a bit of the context. Look with me at Daniel chapter 5, verse 22. Look at verse 22 of Daniel chapter 5. The scripture says this. Daniel speaking here, And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, Though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, verse 25, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Stop right there for just a moment. We are uh, going to, in, in a bit, we are going to observe the Lord's Supper this morning. I jotted down just a few things as we think about, no, not the, not the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ, but as we think about the passion of the Christ, the true passion which, of course, means those last, last third of each gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The passion of the Christ, as you probably know, refers to his death and the events leading immediately up to his death. 
jotted just a few things down as we approach this table this morning. Think about these things. Pilate, a man named Pilate, saw the innocence of Jesus, but he ultimately proved powerless to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus was innocent and suffered unjustly. Jesus maintained silence before his accusers. Jesus faced death on a cross. I know, I know, we all know these things, but listen. Jesus was sealed in a tomb with a stone after giving his life on the cross. The women hurried to the tomb of Jesus at the first light of dawn. The Lord Jesus walked out of the tomb having been raised to life. We want to keep these things together this morning, the supper and the word. The gospel that we see and the gospel that we hear. I want to think about Daniel chapter 6. Well, it's been an interesting week in our nation, surprising in many ways. If you follow the events of the Supreme Court, it is not until January, it's not until a month from now, uh, that we observe uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. But even though it's just now the first Sunday of December, we normally try to say something about Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. You know, uh, most likely, that the Supreme Court heard a very important case of oral arguments uh, stemming from Mississippi and relating back to the issue of Roe v. Wade, of course. We teach here that abortion is evil, that it is murder, and that if you have murdered in this way or if you have aided and abetted murder in this way, then you can absolutely find forgiveness through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. In other words, not the unpardonable sin, even though it is murder. Murder is not the unpardonable sin. James Boyce tells the story of uh, C. Everett Coop. Now, many of you are, are too young to know that name. Many of you know that name. Uh, many decades ago, C. Everett Coop uh, ultimately became the Surgeon General of our country. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, C. Everett Coop, his becoming the Surgeon General, was delayed for about a year because he was mercilessly attacked. One of the things that we see here today in Daniel chapter 6 is we see ultimately the reason Daniel goes to the den of lions, to the pit of lions, is because his colleagues in government mercilessly attacked him. They hated him, they were jealous of him, and so they set up a trap. And as James Boyce tells the story, uh, C. Everett Coop was just bombarded. He was uh, uh, very dignified in his field. He was very worthy of becoming Surgeon General of the United States, but yet his credentials were set aside and he was slandered. He promoted the idea that abortion was murder. And of course, in 1981, that did not sit well with so many people. 
And so they did what they could do. They could not attack him based on his credibility, based on his credentials, based on his worthiness professionally. No, they couldn't do that. They instead attacked him personally, even though ultimately he did become the Surgeon General. And as I say, we see the same thing today. As it has been said, the greater a man's holiness, the greater will be the unbeliever's hatred of that man. You see, the greater a man's holiness, the greater will be the unbelieving world's hatred of that man or woman or boy or girl. Well, this morning, let's first of all notice Let's first of all see what I mentioned to you last week. And that is that the whole theme of Daniel, the whole theme of the book of Daniel is also the theme of chapter 6, which has been helpfully stated like this. Here's the big idea for today, the big idea for today, Daniel chapter 6, not to mention the big idea for the book of Daniel. In spite of present troubles, God is in control, and he will win the victory. Let's just make that our first heading this morning. We're going to have three. Let's make that our first. In spite, listen, in spite of present troubles, God is in control, and he will win the victory. In spite of present troubles, God is in control, and he will win the victory. Daniel 6 is one of the most, as we say, one of the most well-known passages in the Bible, not to mention the book of Daniel, not to mention the Old Testament. Look at Daniel 6, 16. And as they used to say about Folgers, taste it again for the first time. Hear the story. Do you know the story? Daniel 6, 16. Look at it with me. Then the king commanded... And Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Look at verse 19 of Daniel chapter 6. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. 
And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before, notice this, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. In spite of present troubles, God is in control and he will win the victory. This is a message that was, first of all, it was, first of all, intended for Israel. You see, Israel, God's ancient people, had gone into exile because of their sin, because of their rebellion, because of their disobedience. God himself had sent them into exile, away from his temple, away from his promised land. And so they were in Babylonian exile. When we get to Daniel chapter 6, Now we are with Daniel in his 80s. He came with his three friends, you remember, as a young man, and now he is 80 or older. He is, uh, I think the word is an octogenarian. I've just butchered that probably. You know what I'm saying. He's an old man. Israel has been in exile for a while. And this message that we keep repeating is or was originally for God's people Israel. God is in control. You have been in exile. Don't follow the laws of the land if they contradict the law of God. Don't follow the laws of the land if they contradict the law of God. Follow the law of God. Don't bend the knee to any idol. Instead, bow the knee to God, the only true God. Follow Israel. Israel, follow the example of Daniel and repent of your sins and God will restore you to the land out of exile. Now, I want to show you something, and you don't have to turn there, but I want you to listen carefully. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, just listen. You might know this as the famous Hall of Faith. Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say? Verse 32, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, Hebrews 11.33, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Hebrews 11.33, I want you to get this, says that certain people in days of old walked by faith And they what? They stopped the mouths of lions. Now, to be sure, we don't know that this is totally applying to Daniel. I think it does. It clearly does. But Daniel's not the only man in the Old Testament who dealt with lions. But the most famous story of a man of God, a man of faith, an imperfect, faithful man dealing with lions would have been Daniel. Daniel 11.33. These people stopped the mouths of lions. Let me just read on for just a minute. It says, the very next thing it says is in verse 34 is they quenched the power of fire. In Hebrews 11, they quenched the power, which does mean it probably is about Daniel because quench the power of fire probably has to do with who? Probably with his friends, Mishael, Azariah, those guys, you know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3 
in the fiery furnace. So he's probably here, although not mentioned by name, none of them mentioned by name, here in Hebrews 11, he probably is referencing Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. Stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. Some of the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, even around the world today, by God's grace, escaped the edge of the sword. And just a few verses earlier in Hebrews 11, what we didn't read is some of the followers of Jesus, dare I say it, around the world today, by God's grace, get the sword. Some Christians get the sword and die by the sword. And God loves them. And God is for them. And in dying by the sword, God delivers them. It all depends on what your definition of deliverance is. If your definition of deliverance is, if I follow Christ, then I should have at least a relatively easy life. Well, then that would not be the Bible's definition. But if your definition is the Bible's, that deliverance comes the same way as Jesus, death and resurrection, then God always delivers his people. Always, always, always without fail. Some get the sword and some escape from the edge of the sword. Just to be clear, right? Daniel 6 is not what happens every single time. Daniel 6, as we just read, God rescues Daniel from sure death. From sure death, he is rescued and he is spared only to go and Daniel will die later. Daniel will go on to die like Lazarus, right? Lazarus was raised only to die later. And Daniel 6 is not saying that this is what always happens. Some people do die as followers of Christ. So number one, in spite of present troubles, God is in control and he will win the victory. God is in control. Number two, God is able to humble the proud. Number two, God is able to humble the proud. This is Daniel chapter five. Last week we looked at, as I've said, we looked at Daniel 6.10 and we looked at prayer. But it was two weeks ago that we looked at the context for this chapter, Daniel chapter five. And I want to just very quickly, just remind us very quickly of Daniel chapter five. God is able to humble the proud. God is able to humble our pride. He, he does do this. God does humble the proud. He is able to humble you in your pride by one of two ways. By saving you or by judging you. God is able to humble the proud, Daniel chapter 4, through salvation. Daniel chapter 5 with Belshazzar through judgment. God is able to humble you in your pride. And he does that in one of two ways. You remember that Daniel chapter 5 is the writing on the wall. 
There is in Daniel chapter 5, there is King Belshazzar in all of his glory, which wasn't really glorious compared to his father, Nebuchadnezzar. And there is the bodiless hand that appears. And you remember that we said in Daniel chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago that as he's sitting there, the text may very well lead us to believe that he actually loses control of his bodily functions as he sees this bodiless hand begin to write on the wall in language and writing that he doesn't understand. He certainly doesn't understand what it means. And it may be the case that he, as we said, that he loses control of his bodily functions. His, his chair becomes wet. Whatever it is, Daniel, Daniel, unlike Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel actually issues a rebuke to Belshazzar. And he says, in essence, he says, shame on you because you have not humbled yourself you should have praised and worshiped the God who gives you breath. The Lord God gives you breath right now. You live and breathe because God sustains you through Jesus Christ. That's the only reason, the only reason your life is in his hands. And so Daniel chapter five is the writing on the wall. Daniel chapter five is God is able to humble the proud in judgment by by eliminating the proud, by sending them to hell. Look at verse 31, which actually should probably go with chapter 6. Verse 31 of chapter 5, And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Look back at verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. If you read verse 29, he had told Daniel that he was going to give him a reward. It was a very important reward if Daniel was able to read the writing on the wall and give the interpretation which Daniel did. In verse 29, he gives him this reward, and then as soon as he gives him the reward, the kingdom of the Babylonians is over. And then Belshazzar dies. And so it's like, well, thanks for that. Appreciate that reward. Now there's a new empire that's come in, the Medes and the Persians. And uh, God judged Belshazzar. We pointed out, although it's not the main thing in chapter 5, certainly not the main thing, we pointed out that it talks a lot about wine. And we noticed, of course, that Jesus... Changed in John chapter 2, the water into wine. We as Baptists today know that it was Welch's grape juice that was changed. But Daniel 5 speaks about wine, but primarily it speaks about God being able to humble the proud in judgment. Watch out. Watch out. Listen to this verse. Listen to uh, Proverbs 28.10. I read from the New Living Translation. You say, what? Why are you reading? Especially the, the more recent updates to the New Living Translation can be helpful, maybe especially in the Old Testament reading. Here's what Proverbs 28.10 says. Listen. Those who lead good people along an evil path will fall into their own trap, but the honest will inherit good things. Listen to that again. Those who lead good people, good, of course, through the righteousness of God. Those who lead good people along an evil path 
will fall into their own trap. God is able to humble the proud through judging the self-same people, proud. In fact, isn't that what happens in Daniel chapter 6? Did you notice that we read that? I mean, irony of ironies. The very ones who conspired and plotted against Daniel find themselves in the trap that they devised. Proverbs 28.10. In spite of present troubles, God is in control and he will win the victory. God is able to humble the proud through saving them, Daniel 4, or through judging them, Daniel chapter 5, the writing on the wall. I said there were three. Here's the third. God is able to deliver the faithful. God is able to deliver the faithful. God always does deliver the faithful. Now look with me at Daniel chapter 6. Again, what heading are we thinking about? God is able to deliver the faithful. Indeed, he always does. Are you a part of the faithful? Are you a part of the faithful? Only if you belong to the faithful one. You and I are not faithful in and of ourselves. If you belong to the faithful one, capital F, capital O, you are part of the faithful. Now look at this in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Look at this again that Pastor Ben read. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, or maybe your translation says presidents, of whom Daniel was one. So even though at the very end of chapter 5, even though the former empire, the king of the former empire, Belshazzar of the Chaldeans or of Babylon, even though he had just made Daniel this high-ranking guy, and then the Medes and the Persians are right there at the door and they come in. Nevertheless, it seems like, listen, wherever Daniel finds himself in exile, whatever power is ruling, Daniel is faithfully serving the pagans. Do you see? Do you see Daniel for decade upon decade upon decade has been faithfully serving these pagans who do not know God. He has been faithfully serving them because his fundamental bent is to faithfully serve God. And therefore, he faithfully serves in exile. And of course, we too, First Peter, live in exile in this world. We too should, like Daniel, serve faithfully even towards pagans. Do you see? And so it just seems like Daniel continues to be given favor. He continues to be recognized for his integrity. He was not a perfect man, but he was a holy man. He knew God, and when you know God and when you know the Lord Jesus Christ, that overflows in your life, and it should, it should issue in a life of integrity. Daniel was, Daniel was, contrary to some of our presidents, Daniel was unimpeachable, not because he was perfect, but nevertheless, he was unimpeachable. Verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. Why? Why? Are you looking at it? Because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel's in his 80s. This is a new king. And already, 
He plans to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials, verse 4, and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. Just notice the repetition. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, that's a lie. That's a lie. The counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. The holier a man is, the more hatred he earns from the unbelieving world. I've always loved the story told by R.C. Yeah, I'm calling him R.C. now, these days. <laughs> I've always loved the story told by R.C. It happened many decades ago when a professional golfer got to play the round of his life. And he got to play golf one day with the then president of the United States, Gerald Ford, with one of the greatest ever uh, in golf, Jack Nicholas, and with Billy Graham. That was their foursome. And so the, the, the professional golfer, he'd played with Nicholas before. He was especially excited, Sproul says, to, pr to play with the president and with Billy Graham. They finished their round of golf, and one of his buddies comes up to him and says, man, what was it like? What was it like playing with the president and with Billy Graham? And the professional golfer was visibly shaken. Sproul says, he said, I do not need Billy Graham shoving religion down my throat. He was ticked off. He was red in the face, livid, as he said, because Billy Graham was shoving religion down his throat. His friend, his friend let him cool down just a bit. He said, man, Mr. Graham must have been pretty tough on you. And the man said, no, actually, I'm sorry. He didn't even say a word. I played really poorly today point is not to be humorous, but the point is the man, of course, lied, saying that Billy Graham was out on the course all day long proselytizing him, when in fact Billy Graham hadn't said a word to him. It was the presence of a holy man. Do you see? The presence of a holy man. The wicked flee when there's no reason to flee. The righteous don't flee because they're fear of God. They don't fear other things because they fear God, but the wicked flee when there's no reason this man simply played poorly, no doubt, the fear of man. He wanted to play really well in front of the president and Billy Graham. And merely the presence of this man can't stand it. The world cannot stand a true believer if we are walking just simply in faithfulness. Not six feet above the ground, but just simply in faithfulness by the grace of God through the indwelling Holy Spirit Nothing will make the unbelieving world gnash their teeth more. And so we see here, this is wicked. This is wicked what they do. They lie. They are supposed to be 
giving honor and doing the will of the king. We clearly see in the story, what was the will of the king? It was clearly not to put Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel, listen, the irony, Daniel was the one who always did the will of the king, and he got put in the lion's den. His uh, colleagues in the government were intentionally going against the will of the king, do you see, by setting up this trap. It was a trap. I mean, at the end of the day, kings of this world are so puny. At the end of the day, they are nothing compared to God. And so at the end of the day, what shows him to be so puny is that he can't do anything about his own law. Make this law, king. We're all agreed as we're lying through our teeth. We're all agreed that you should do this. Forbid prayer. Forbid prayer to anybody except to yourself for 30 days. We love you, O king. When the reality is they were jealous of Daniel, they hated Daniel, and they wanted him dead. Very quickly, verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, you remember we talked about this last week, there is a bit of holy defiance in his prayer. Not bad defiance, holy defiance. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. God is able to deliver the faithful and he always does. He is able to deliver the faithful, and he always does. Daniel chapter 6, you should know, is very similar to Daniel chapter 3. Very similar. In fact, the key difference is that Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, realizes that he cannot stop practicing true religion. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel realizes that he must not stop practicing true religion. In Daniel chapter 3, it's not Daniel, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not a lion's den, it's a fiery furnace. And their issue is we will not start practicing false religion. The same message was true for Israel, and the same message is true for us today. Don't dabble with any type of false spirituality and don't let anything keep you from practicing true religion. One example of that, of course, would be James chapter 1. God is able to deliver the faithful and he always does. Let me just briefly give you a picture of this lion's den. We are told, get this picture, boys and girls, everybody. We are told that the original speaks of the lion's pit. What was it? It was an underground cistern which had an opening at the top that could be closed off with a large stone. Such cisterns could be used for water storage or as a prison. In this case, the king kept lions in this underground cave. Thus, he could use it for capital capital punishments. It was a cruel but effective deterrent to anyone who even thought about disobeying a law of the Medes and Persians. Well, those are two different things, right? For water storage or as a prison. That's not exactly similar. Philippians chapter 3 says this. Hear what Paul says in Philippians 3. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Daniel actually was a lot like Jesus in his death. Philippians 3, of course, speaks to us this side of the cross, post-cross burial and resurrection, as we are united by G- to Christ by faith, that we would share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. In just a bit, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Can I remind you of what I said earlier? Would you think carefully about this? as the intention was not to go verse by verse through Daniel, but let this explain Daniel 6 to you. In the Passion of the Christ, Pilate sees the innocence of Jesus, but ultimately proves powerless to keep him from going to the cross. Jesus was innocent and suffered unjustly. I want you to get this. Jesus maintained silence before his accusers. Jesus faced death. Jesus was sealed in a tomb with a stone. The women hurried to the tomb of Jesus at the first light of dawn. The Lord Jesus walked out of the tomb. I'll leave it to you to be the judge. This has been pointed out by many people. I am in wholehearted agreement with them of the interesting similarities here not trying to be any way mysterious or anything, but just as Pilate saw the innocence of Jesus and ultimately proved not to be able to do anything about him going to the cross, so Darius saw the innocence of Daniel and proved to have his hands tied by the own law that he had made. Jesus was innocent and suffered unjustly, as was Daniel. Jesus maintained silence before his accusers. Same thing with Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. Do you see? Jesus faced death. Daniel faced death in Daniel chapter 6. Jesus was sealed in a tomb with a stone. The exact same thing pretty much is said of Daniel. He was sealed in the pit with a stone and the signet ring was impressed. The women hurried to the tomb of Jesus at the first light of dawn. And what does it say here? It says Darius. Oh, the irony. Oh, the irony as Daniel, the man of God, not perfect, but unimpeachable. Daniel, the man of God, I think we can say had a good night's rest in the lion's pit because who? The Lord shut the mouths of the lions and so no harm, no harm at all was found on Daniel. And oh, the irony as he rests in the pit of the lions, which one man has called this whole chapter, the angel's den, as God sent his angel. And the irony is that King Darius spent all night long, what? Don't bring me my normal diversions. Don't bring me any food. I'm going to fast all night long. Oh, Daniel, I didn't know that this was going to happen. Oh, Daniel, oh, the irony as King Darius at dawn goes to the tomb and says, Daniel, he must have suspected something. He must have had some idea, right? Surely we're not saying that he knew for sure, but he must have thought there was some hope. Oh, Daniel, has your God, whom you serve continually, 
been able to rescue you from the den of lions. O King Darius, live forever. Don't worry. Because what? Because I have been faithful to the Lord. Oh, and by the way, because I have never done you any harm. The Lord shut the mouths of the lions. And then what does King Darius do? What did he do? He said, bring the people. Bring the people who falsely accused. Remember Proverbs 28.10? Those who lead good people along an evil path will fall into their own trap. Oh, there is justice in this world. There is justice in this world. We see that supremely when justice falls at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the supreme point in human history when the justice of God is seen. Because of our sin, the perfect spotless one, innocent, suffered unjustly, conspired against, just like Daniel was conspired against, falsely accused, but so much greater than Daniel. Don't let these comparisons that I just made, don't let them in any way leave you thinking, oh, that's a lot of, that's a comparison. Yeah, but Jesus is so much greater than Daniel. And at the cross is where we see justice and mercy meet so that when we repent of our sins, God forgives us and he declares us to be in the right standing with him. Justice and mercy kiss each other at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in this passage, we see that there is judgment. We see that the very same people who conspired against Daniel, Daniel thrown into the lion's pit, lays there, their mouths are closed. These people who conspired against them, bring them here, throw them into the pit. They never make it to the ground. They don't even make it to the ground, do you see? It's the men, it's their wives, and it's the children. He is holy. He is holy. The men, the liars, the wicked deceivers, their wives, their children, thrown into the pit, unable to even hit the ground. All of a sudden, the lion's mouths are open. Their appetite is restored. And they are destroyed. He is able to humble the proud through salvation or through judgment. Through judgment or through salvation. And Daniel serves as this example to Israel and as this example to us. That in spite of present troubles, God is in control. He will win Daniel so much like Joseph. He's a lot like Jesus. He's a lot like Joseph. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That's Joseph. That's Genesis fifty twenty. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people. And do you see, friends, do you see that God has preserved his word for us today? Do you see, do you see that God has preserved his, what we call his Old Testament word? And that what was true of Joseph was true of Daniel as well. That God preserved Daniel as an example for us, as we see in the book of Timothy, that we might look to the scriptures and they might lead us to faith in Jesus Christ. Look to the Old Testament and be led to faith 
through Jesus Christ because he is the fulfillment of all that is therein. He is Israel's Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the world. 1 John 2, 2. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. It is clear, although we don't make too much of it, it is clear that Daniel walked out of the lion's pit. And the Lord Jesus Christ walked, having been raised from the dead, he walked out of the tomb. Of course, the great difference is that the Lord Jesus walked out never to die again. He is able to save to the uttermost those who put their trust in him. And if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you might die by the sword for Jesus' sake, or he might save you from the sword. And he is good in all of it, and he is for you in all of it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let us pray together. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we come to the table. We pray that you would wake us up to your glory. Grant to us repentance and faith. Help us to see the truth of this story of the severe judgment that fell on the wicked and of your undeserved, sovereign, merciful salvation for your people through Jesus Christ. We thank you for Daniel chapter 6. Open our eyes. May we follow you by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.